potluck. Some parts will be for mothers. I hope you take a good handful of that, mothers. Some parts will be those getting baptized. I hope you take a good handful of those. And and some parts will be for those of us who are rededicating our lives to Jesus. And, and some parts will be for those who are still searching and considering to give their hearts to Jesus. So I hope everybody is fed today from the Word of God. Amen? Amen? So let's again, if you don't mind, bow our heads for another word of prayer, and then we'll get into God's Word. Let's pray. Gracious Father, again, we just thank you for your Word. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful Sabbath day. Thank you for those who have made the decision to be baptized. I know that heaven is rejoicing today. Thank you for our wonderful mothers, Lord, who have prayed so much, who have worked so hard, who have sacrificed, who have courageously raised us. Many of us wouldn't be in church today if it wouldn't be for a praying mother. And so we thank you, Father, for our wonderful mothers and and that loving heart of mothers, which is the closest thing we know of your heart towards us, uh, your deep love for us. And, And so today, Lord, we ask for the outpouring of your Spirit. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit may be in our midst, that our thoughts may be uplifted from ourselves, from other distractions, that we may see Jesus that we may be drawn to Jesus. And I ask, Lord, that you will anoint my lips, uh, give clarity of thought, that as Jesus is uplifted, may it be your words spoken, may it be your thoughts, and that we may be drawn to him by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' precious name, amen. A group of young school graders were asked what they thought about their mother. I thought this was cute. You know, kids always say the cutest things. And so one of the questions was, how did God make mothers? And and one school grader said, magic plus superpowers and a lot of stirring. Uh, What ingredients are mothers made of? God made mothers out of clouds and angel hair and everything nice in the world and one dab of sprinkle. Why did God give you your mother and not some other mother? God knew she would like me a lot more than other people's moms would like me. Yes. Uh, Why did your mom marry your dad? Well, she got too old to do anything else with him. I like this one. Who is the boss at your house? Mom is. She doesn't want to be, but she has to be because dad's a goofball. And, you know... uh, I, I can tell you stories about that. Uh, you, you know, when, when my son was born, I was so happy I had a boy. And, and so I bought every toy that I wanted to play with. And so that's the way it goes. Uh, we're dads, and, and we're there. Uh, what does your mom do in her spare time? It's so true. Mothers don't do spare time. And if you could change one thing about your mom, what would it be? I would like her to get rid of those invisible eyes in the back of her head. (laughs) Praise God for mothers. Do you know that in Bible times, there were men, and then there were women and children, and they were not as important as men. It's not right, but that's the way it was in Bible times. And do you know that Jesus did not follow that rule, that 
you find a story in the Bible that is one of my favorite stories that reveals to us the heart of Jesus, where some mothers brought their children to Jesus. And because in society they were second rate, the disciples thought Jesus was way too important for mothers and children. And they wanted to protect Jesus and protect his time. And so they wanted to push them away and say, Jesus doesn't have time nor priority for them. And this is one time that Jesus rebuked his disciples. Because in Jesus' priority, mothers and children are very important. And this is not just a story in the Gospel of Luke. It is the central story of Luke 18. And if you could... uh, Go to the next slide. It's the only slide. This is a one-slide sermon. So if you guys are wondering when the last slide is up, the last slide is up. So, you know, we're, we're here. But this is a chiastic, it's a fancy word, where the center of the, of the, of the story is the most important. And so what that means is, in Luke 18, you begin with a persistent widow, and you end with a persistent blind man. Then you go to another parable uh, where you find a prideful Pharisee and a humble tax collector. And then you'll find at the, towards the end of Luke 18, you'll find a prideful rich young ruler, but you find the humility of Jesus. And right there in the center of this, in the center, I know it's not quite the center of the verses, but it's the center of the story of Luke 18 is Jesus mothers and children. And I think Luke did it that way because Dr. Luke always, always highlighted the marginalized in his gospel. He always pointed to the sick and the lepers and the women and the children, the ones that were marginalized in his society. He brought them into the fold and said, you are a priority to Jesus Christ. And so today's message is about persistent prayer and priorities. Let's begin with the persistent widow. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Luke chapter 18, and we will begin in verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not to lose heart. So this parable is about persistency in prayer, saying, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard men, nor there was, now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard men, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out, day and night to him, though he bears long with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? This story is about a judge or a parable about a judge and the widow. The judge was an unjust judge. He would have perverted justice for a dish of meat, as the saying goes. He didn't care about justice. He cared about his own self. 
and what he could get out of it. And this woman who had nothing, she was a widow. She had no resources, no finances. She only had one thing at her disposal, persistence. And so one day she comes to the judge and says, I need justice, I'm being taken advantage of. And the judge said, I don't have no time for you. I can tell you're a widow, you have nothing to offer me. And she said, all right, I'll be back tomorrow. He said, fine. She came back the next day. And he said, I don't have time for you. And then she came back the next day. And then she came back the next day. And then she came back the next day. And finally the judge said, because of her what? persistence, she will get justice. Now, God is not the same as this judge. God is not likened to the judge. He is contrasted to the judge. He is the opposite of this judge. And what God is saying, what Jesus is saying, if an unjust judge can do justice because of persistence, how much more can a just, loving, caring God bring justice and answer to prayers of those who persistently pray. And so here's the first dish I offer to each one of you. Those that are getting baptized. Those that are baptized. Dear mothers, never cease praying. The very first work of a Christian is to pray. Never stop praying. Never believe that your work is so important that you have no time for prayer. In fact, it was Martin Luther who said on his busiest days, he would take three hours to pray instead of one hour to pray. When your days are busiest, those are the most important times to put everything aside and pray. Prayer is the number one part of being a Christian. Your communion with God. You need to slow down and hear the voice of God yourself from the Word of God. Go out into nature. Commune with God. That's the first part of being a Christian is your relationship with Jesus. It's not enough that others come to the buffet and eat the Word of God. You need to stop and commune with the Lord. Amen? And let me tell you something about prayer. Prayer will never falter if you finish your prayers every time with the words, your will be done. That's the way Jesus prayed. He brought his request to the Father. If it's possible, Father, take this cup from me, but not not my will, your will be done. Your prayer life will never falter if you end every persistent prayer with, God, your will be done. He knows so much better than we do. We can bring our requests to him. And there are those dark moments. You know that wonderful poem where there, there are two, you know, two sets of footprints in the sand and then one that, and there are some divots in there, the times when God's dragging us along. And, you know, there are times when we don't understand God. But he knows better than we do. Not my will, but your will be done. Don't cease praying because life is hard. Persistently keep praying. And there's an example of this in the last story of Luke 18. If you go to the last story, you'll find here blind Bartimaeus. You can find the story in Matthew 20 as well as Mark 10. But we'll just look at it from Luke 
18. Notice verse 35. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 39. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw Gave praise to God. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He is heading towards the cross. He knows the cross is before him. He comes into Jericho. And if you've ever been in the Holy Land, Jericho is down by the Dead Sea. And going up to Jerusalem is a few miles of all the way just going up. And what you'll find is this is one of the last stops of Jesus before he heads to the cross. He knows it. There are people following him, and as he's heading towards Jericho, there's this blind man sitting there, and and he hears the commotion, he hears the large crowds, and he's asking, what's going on? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. Now think about this. Last time Jesus is passing through Jericho. There's something stirring within him. This is my moment. This is my time to ask For something that I desperately need. I need my sight. I want to see. And so he cries out. Son of David have mercy on me. And what did the people around him do? Did they say yes let us bring you to Jesus. You want Jesus? Let us lift you up. Come. No what did they do? How is it that at times. People are discouraged to come to Jesus who within their hearts yearn for Jesus. He was told to not make a commotion. Don't rock the boat. Stay quiet. Shh. And yet it's his last time. And if you read this in the Greek, the word therefore cried the first time and for the second time are two different words. It's cry out the first time. The second time is this other desperation of if I don't get my answer now I never will and so he cries out with all his might when others are telling him to be quiet he's persistent in crying out to Jesus don't let circumstances or people around you keep you from Jesus you know the devil wants nothing more than to keep you from Jesus. And when you cry out to Jesus, he will bring people into your life to hush that desire. He will bring circumstances to life. He will try to offer you great worldly rewards. He will do everything and anything to hush you from crying out to Jesus. But if you and I recognize our spiritual blindness, like the Laodiceans we are, then we're going to cry out for Jesus. It doesn't matter if people will ask us to stop. It doesn't matter if the world offers us greatness. We won't stop. It doesn't matter whatever comes. We're going to cry out to Jesus. Was blind Bartimaeus persistent? 
was his persistence rewarded. By faith he cried out, and the Lord answered him. And so we move on. As much as I love to dwell on it, let's move on to the second parable in verse 9. Notice also he spoke this parable, Luke 18, verse 9. To some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Again, it's about prayer. How to pray and how not to pray. We've already learned that one thing about prayer is persistence, right? Persistence. Another thing about prayer is right here. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. I would say he prayed to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even as this tax collector. Isn't that something that comes to church praying to God? Thank you, God, you're not like the other men. I fast twice a week. You know, they fasted Monday and Thursday. Those were the market days. Those were the days everybody came to the market. And so on those days, they put on fasting clothes so that everybody could see how pious they were. They picked the days that everybody would see them. Their religion was very much an outward religion. It had nothing to do with their relationship with Jesus. Amen. Had to do with their fast. And notice the tax collector. Oh, wait, no. He fasted twice a week and gave tithes of all that he possessed, even the mint and cumin, the things that you would not do. And then verse 13, the tax collector standing afar off did not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. How do you come to church? I think the band-aid I got on is full. Oh, really? You're going to make me stand here? Mercy. Okay. All right. That's good. She can't hear me. No problem. I will oblige. All right. So, notice, folks. He did not even look up to heaven. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went up to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, you cannot truly pray if you're proud. You cannot truly pray if you despise others. One thing about this Pharisee that it says is he despised others. When you belittle the children of God, it doesn't matter if you belittle them because of their ethnicity, the color of their skin, their um, backgrounds, their wealth or lack of it. It doesn't matter why. If you belittle 
any child of God, you cannot truly pray. One thing that's important in prayer is humility. Now, what is humility? It's one of those things you can't grasp. One time, a mayor decided to find the most humble man in his city. And so they brought the city together, and they talked about handing out a reward to the most humble man. And after further deliverance, they found someone. They brought him forward and said, you are the most humble person. Unfortunately, the next day they had to take the award away from him because he proudly wore it all through town. Humility is one of those things that once you think you have it, slips through your fingers. And the only way to truly remain humble is to always keep your eyes on Jesus. Because this Pharisee, every time he kept his eyes on people around him, he was good. But if he would have put his eyes on Jesus, he would have recognized himself as a sinner. You know, it's one of those things where, where do you keep your eyes on? You know, when you look at sheep out grazing, and I go out to Mohaven quite often, and it's a beautiful country, and you see... Uh, farms and you see animals and you see sheep and and when I go out there during the summertime I, I see these sheep that that have white wool compared to the grass around them but when I go through those times can I say the word snow is it safe now is it behind us when you see those sheep with fresh snow in the background you can tell they're dirty with the background of grass, they look very clean and white. With the background of snow, you can tell the wool is dirty. And with the background of others around us, we can say, I'm pretty good. I'm not a, like that person over there. But when I come into the presence of Jesus, I ought to be like this tax collector who says, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. And the only way to truly pray is to be humble, and the only way to truly be humble is to keep our eyes on Jesus. And the only way to truly pray is to be Christ-centered. Because I think the closer we come to Jesus, the more we recognize our sinfulness, not less. I don't think the people who are closest to Jesus will come to the point I'm like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm really close to Jesus. I'm starting to be just like Jesus. Those are who are the farthest from Jesus. Because if the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, could come to the point and say, I am the chief of sinners, I think he was closer to Jesus than any of us. If he would say that, where would I where would you stand? And so prayer is to be done in humility and Christ-centered. And then we find stories in this. You find the story in verse 18 where there was this rich young ruler who comes to Jesus. 
And and verse 8, he says, there are certain rulers ask him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. He's, he's trying to point this person away from self to God. Didn't we just talk about that? Amen. When you put your life around God, things ought to become more clear. And, and then so Jesus said, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth up. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. What was the issue with this young man? Did he really keep the commandments from his youth up? Or was he pretty much selfish and self-centered? And all that he did, this, this, this comfort of life is what he craved above the relationship of Jesus Christ. There's nothing wrong to have stuff. But don't let stuff come between you and God. Because we brought nothing into this world. And certainly we're not going to take anything out. And so Jesus, verse 24 says, when he saw that, he became very sorrowful. He said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And we could talk about that and the humility of of getting down through that and all of that. You, you've heard of it. But notice, and, and those who heard it said, who then can be saved? And I love verse 27. Don't forget verse 27. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. I like the reverse side, the way Paul puts it in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The things that are impossible with us and I don't know about you, but when I look at my life, I don't know how God can save me. It's impossible for me to be saved if it's up to me. But when I give my life to Jesus, I don't know how I can be lost because all things are possible with God. And Peter says, we have left all and followed you. So he said, no, surely I say to you, there's no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom, who shall not receive many times more in this present time in the age to come to eternal life. There are sacrifices for following Jesus. Being baptized doesn't mean life will get easier now. It just means that Jesus is with you. And there will be more sacrifices. But that's okay. Your reward is assured through Jesus Christ. Jesus never asks us to give up anything without giving us something better in return. This idea that I need to give something precious up for Jesus, that's rubbish. You're only giving up things that are harmful, hurtful, that keep you. It's like me telling my son, let me have that. I'm going to give you something else. And my son holding on to that little trinket when I offer him something much better. As a parent, we want to give good gifts to our children, don't we? 
And many times they hold on to the little trinkets when they could have so much more. And we do that with God. He wants to offer us so much more and we hold on to the things of this world. And then from the rich man we go to true humility. Here's true humility. Look at verse 31. Then he took the twelve aside and said to him, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. Can you believe that Jesus is heading to Jerusalem, and he knows what's ahead of him, and he's going purposefully courageously to face the cross. And Jesus multiple times tried to share with the disciples what his future is. In their minds, it was all about setting up a kingdom, setting up a kingdom. We're going to rule with him. We're going to have crowns one day. And they argued about who will be the best and next to Jesus. And Jesus trying to tell them that's not. It's not the crown. It's the cross. And you notice that every time Jesus mentions the cross, he does mention the crown. Because he says they will scourge him and kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. Jesus knows the cross is coming. But he knows that after the cross comes the crown. Jesus looked towards the cross, but he looked beyond the cross. There is a sacrifice, but look beyond the sacrifice. And what gave Jesus the strength to go to the cross is the reality that the Father will carry him through it. And at the other end, he will come out. The hope of the resurrection. He will be raised on the third day. So now we come to the central theme of the book. We started with persistence, ended with persistence. We looked at pride, we've seen pride. We saw humility, we saw humility. But now comes the center. Here it is. And it's the center for a reason, because it's a priority for Jesus Christ. Because verse 15 says, Then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. And Jesus called them to him and said, Let the children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Or surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Uh, you know, you read The Desire of Ages, and she gives us this wonderful picture of how one day a mother took her little infant and, and went over to uh, her neighbor and, and told her that she's going to find Rabbi Jesus to bless her child. And this neighbor said, I'm going to go with you and bring my child. And next thing you know, you had multiple mothers, not only with just infants, but you also had even young people in the mix. They're all coming. Mothers and children. But Jesus doesn't even have time to eat. He doesn't have time to sit down. He doesn't even have time to catch his breath. Everybody's just disturbing him. And the disciples are trying somehow to save Jesus a little time. And so when they see the mothers and when they see the children, they say, no, 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 no. This is, this is not important. You're not an important 
Pharisee, you're not an important person. This does not help out our idea and agenda of Jesus. Sorry, no. And their intentions were good, but what they ended up doing is they keeping mothers and children from Jesus. And church, we need to be careful of keeping mothers and children from Jesus. And ask ourselves, are there ways with good intentions that we may be keeping children and mothers from, children, from Jesus? But I want you to know, mothers, that Jesus always has time for you. He always has time for your prayers. He always has time for your presence. He always has time for your venting. He always has time to turn to you and help you. And children always has time for children. You know, something about children that I've learned is they can know well whether they're loved or not. You look at a child and there's somebody who's grumpy and and carries on their face this idea of you come to me and I'm going to let you know how I feel. And children do not get near people like that. They sense and they know the presence of love and the presence of sternness. And when they came into the presence of Jesus, love himself, I think children felt accepted, welcomed, important. There was joy. You know, sometimes we think of Jesus as this holy being who never cracked a smile. Children never run to people like that. Oh, Jesus was lovable, approachable. You could come into his presence and know two things. You were a sinner, but you were accepted and loved. He never rebuked. In fact, he said, I did not come to condemn. I came to save. And when he says, let the little children, I don't know about you. You know, this is my third language. But the word let kind of means if I step out of the way. Is that what it means to you? That if I just step out of the way, automatically they come. Because if the disciples would have just stepped out of the way, I kind of just picture the children being drawn to Jesus. And what's keeping them? Oh, the religious leaders. And if they would just step out of the way. And then Jesus makes a point. He says, you need to become like little children. And this to the sophisticated, wonderful person would be like, what? Become childish? I'm an adult now. I don't do childish things. But there's something about children so amazing. You know, they trust their parents. You know, I I have two children of my own that I thank Jesus for every day. You know, they used to be so little and and now, you know, they just bump my shoulder and say, what's up, dad? And look down on me. You know, that's, that's how life goes, right? And sometimes I need to ask what language they're speaking and could you interpret for me? I I don't know. Was that English? You know, it's, it's the reality. But little children, you know, they're so trustworthy. E- even now, my, you know, my kids don't come to me and, Dad, do we have enough money for our groceries? Or, or, they, they don't wonder. They just trust 
you're going to provide for me. They sleep well at night, knowing that mom and dad will take care. If we could trust our Heavenly Father the way our children trust, now that's a characteristic God wants us to have. To just go to sleep at night knowing your Heavenly Father will, ta- your heavenly father will take care of you. He does. Don't ever doubt it. That's a characteristic of children. And, and not only that, but they want to please their parents. Why do you think they draw things and present it to you? You know, uh, you know, my kids and I, we watch little cartoons. And, and I remember one called Despicable Me. Don't, you know, don't judge. But, you know, there's one of, of this little group coming and, and showing things to, to mom. And what is he wanting? Mom, I want to please you. And, and he does this and makes a rocket out of, you know, you know little macaroons or something. And, and mom, you know, that's the way children are. They want to please. Oh, if we would just want to please our parent, our Heavenly Father. If we would live our lives to say, Father, I want to please you. Here I am. You know, one other thing about children is persistence. Oh, if you have children, you know what I'm talking about. You've heard the words, but you promised. Am I the only one that has, you know, and, 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 and you could be working on something and, and you, you promised them we're going to go to the park or we're going to do this or we're going to get ice cream. Or, and, and, and they're going to hold you to it, by the way. And not only are they persistent and persistent and persistent because you promised. But they tag team. They figured out that the little one comes and says, Daddy, are we going yet? And you say, not yet. Let me finish. And she goes and she tag team the other person in. And the older one comes and says, how about now? See, they have a system in their persistency. And if we could just operate that way with our Heavenly Father, where we yearn to come into his presence in prayer and to claim the promises and to say, you've promised that you will give me victory over sin. You've promised that you will never leave me nor forsake me. You've promised that you will come back. If we would be as persistent in our prayer life, no wonder Jesus said if we could be more like little children. Do you see how much Jesus prioritizes children? They're not a nuisance. When I hear children in church, my heart thrills. When there are no children at church, my heart breaks. Because Jesus wants them near. And they're going to be a child. They're going to be children. But Jesus loves them. Don't underestimate children, by the way. They're never too young to come to Jesus. I remember one young man during cup camp, ages 6 through 9 at summer camp. This young, this young man could not sit still. He was, he was the one who always had to move around. And, and he was the one that even calling home, we handed him the phone and he would just pace in a circle talking. He wouldn't just sit down and talk. He, he was always walking. The, the counselors knew that when this young man was in their cabin, they did not have a week of rest. They always had to be vigilant. And, and this young man, 
soon as they put their head down and look up, he's walking off somewhere. And then mom signed him up for a second week. And so now we had him two weeks in a row. But, you know, in the middle of the week, we, we allowed the kids to write home a note and to, to turn it in. And I wish I'd, I'd bring a picture to show to you that, that what he wrote to mom. He says, Mom, I love my counselor. He reminds me of Jesus. My favorite food here is, I think he said, pasta, lasagna, one of those. And he said, when I come home, I want to study the Bible with the pastor and be baptized. You know, if I would have looked at him, he, he just always walked and wandered, always busy, always doing something. Never thought he actually listened and interacted. And yet, if I stand out of the way, he is drawn to Jesus. Oh, mothers, I want you to know that Jesus is drawing your little ones and your older ones to, to him. He loves you. He loves your prayers. He loves your children. And he's always drawing them to himself. So there you have your spiritual potluck. I hope that I fed you from God's word and not overfed you. But I hope that you've learned a few things. And that you've taken a few things. I hope that you will always keep praying. I hope that you pray in humility. I hope that you look to Jesus. Keep praying for your children. Keep looking to Jesus. And one day he shall come. And take us home. All of us. Our parents. Our children. Together. That's my prayer. At this time, I invite Dr. Jeff Ware to come forward. And we're going to have the uh, baptismal vows for Lewis and Heather. And I'm going to get ready to jump into the baptistry. So while you do that, I'm going to step aside. Thank you so much. Pastor, for that message. That was a wonderful message, wasn't it? can never be uh, told too much to remember prayer to be persistent and so forth. Well, what an honor to have our two baptismal candidates, uh, Lois and, and Heather. I had a privilege to study with both of them, but I know, Ron, you studied with Heather a little bit. Okay, all right. But these are two exceptional uh, women who will be joining this body of Christ here. And uh, you're joining a wonderful congregation. And this congregation is blessed by having you be new members in its body. Uh, you know, they haven't waited to be witnesses or be part of us until their baptism. You know, Lois has been playing the piano, and, and uh, Heather's been out witnessing, sharing books and so forth and so forth. But, you know, I, I do want to say that um, when you get to study with people, you get a, a sense of maybe gifts and things, and more of that's going to come out. Uh, with Lois, um, God's blessed you with a wonderful mind. And um, she understands concepts very well. Um, 
it, to me, we studied on Wednesdays, and it was just an absolute joy uh, to study with someone who could just grasp things so well. She's very well-educated and understands things very, very well. And I, I look forward to our continued study. She has a, a particular interest in the prophet's code. And uh, my, my interest is to see more people understand it and share it. It's the structure of Daniel and Revelation, which completely proves the historical approach to prophecy. We need people like yourself. And God has blessed Heather with a wonderful mind. Uh, in our Bible studies, she just brings, she connects one verse to another. If you say this verse, she says, oh, there's another verse. You know, and it's, it's just very quick. And God's blessed you. And, uh, and she has a kind of a gift of evangelism as well where she just, she's out sharing. I mean, she, she's really going to be our street corner preacher, right? And, uh, and it's a, it's a wonderful, yes. <laughs> and, uh, but right now, it's our time to go through these vows. If you'd like to stand up here with me. And if you kind of both would like to stand here together, I'm going to read these vows to you. And you would just give a nod and affirmation or say yes. If you both would like to stand, we'll do it at the same time. Okay? So that your family can see that you are in agreement with them. And, uh, and I'm going to read these. And as you listen, for those of you that are baptized members, this is really an important opportunity for us to reaffirm our faith. It what makes us this remnant church. Um, and for those of you who are interested, I, I know we have a couple that are preparing for baptism here. Uh, Mike and Doug's not here today, but Doug's studying as well. They both want to be baptized in a couple months. But as you listen to these, let us reaffirm our own faith in these. And so at the end of each one, I'll ask you to give an affirmation. Okay. Number one, do you believe that there are three distinct personalities in the Godhead, namely God the Father, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit? Do you believe that the Bible is God's inspired word? And is it your desire to make the Bible your creed for all Christian doctrine and manner of living? Do you believe that Jesus came in our fallen flesh, one, to show us the true nature of the Father, two, to die for our sins, and three, to be our example. Amen. Number four, do you believe that it is the work of the Holy Spirit to lead us to Christ as our personal Savior and to daily impart the life of Jesus to us? Number five, have you accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, and is it your desire to serve him with your whole life? Amen. Number six, do you believe that Jesus is, is right now interceding for you in the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary? And is it your desire to cooperate with him and having sin cleansed out of your life? Do you believe that God's Ten Commandments are still binding upon the Christian and that it is your desire to keep them by faith? Amen. Number eight, is it your desire to keep the Fourth Commandment, the Seventh-day Sabbath, from sunset Friday to sunset Saturday? Do you believe in the gifts of the Spirit and that every member is to be a functioning part of the body of Christ? Amen. Do you believe that Ellen G. White had received the gift of prophecy and that she served God faithfully as a prophetess in these last days? 
Do you believe that Seventh-day Adventist Church is God's remnant church and that he purposed this church to prepare the world for the soon return of Christ? Do you believe that Jesus is coming soon and that he will appear visibly with all his angels to redeem his faithful from every generation? Amen. Do you believe that the wages of, the sin, the wages of sin is death and that every soul is resting in the grave awaiting either the resurrection of life, or the resurrection of condemnation. Number 14, do you believe in healthful living and choose to obey God's laws of health, refraining from such things as alcohol, caffeinated drinks, narcotics, and smoking? Number 15, do you believe in baptism by immersion as a public confession that you have given your life to Jesus? And lastly, Do you choose to support God's work with your tithes and offerings and talents? We'll praise God. Praise God to that. At this time, prior to the baptism, we're going to... uh, You changed quickly. I didn't even see... (laughs) I didn't even see you leave. Uh, And uh, I think both of them would like to share something. Okay, Lois, would you like to start? The poem I shall read was written by my father, Eugene Rowell. The title of the poem is The Lamp in Heaven's Window. It's because of the lamp in heaven's window that I'm here today. There's a memory that grows dearer as the long years take their flight And it brings to me as clear as long ago the old home lamp in the window shining through the stormy night there to guide my footsteps homeward by its glow. How my heart thrilled when I saw it from the hilltop far away for I knew that mother's hand had placed it there and that though I oft must journey I could never go astray or be lost beyond her thought and loving care. But far brighter than the beacon which that mother dear of mine set so fondly as a homeward guide to me, there's a lamp in heaven's window which our Savior's love divine ever places for earth's wanderers to see. And though shadows deepening round us veil the pathway from our view as we struggle on in weariness alone. We can see it through the darkness, shining forth a welcome true to the homeland where our Lord will meet his own. Out upon the darkest pathway shine its radiant beams afar, and no storm of life can hide it from our gaze as it calls us home to heaven, where the many mansions are and the angel throngs are singing joy and praise, and far dearer than returning to an earthly dwelling place from some distant realm where we have had to roam, there will be a glad reunion in the land of love and grace 
when the lamp in heaven's window leads us home. Sabbath. Um, I didn't write anything down because that would have been too stressful and pressure, too much pressure for me. And also, I would have wrote probably 50 pages. Um, I can recall walking in those doors, actually, not those, that door for the first time um, back in the fall and really didn't realize, I knew I was a baby Christian at that time, um, but really didn't realize that I did have some pride. And I thought, I found the truth, but I had no idea. I really didn't. I thought I found the truth, but I, my life was still very tumultuous for me. And so I've come a long way, long way. And I know there have been probably many of you wondering, well, She's missed church. She's missed church. Yeah. I had the spirit of condemnation on me, and I really had to work to get that that spirit off of me. Um, I had to develop tunnel vision for the Lord, and in doing so, it free, it's completely freed me um, from all of that, and he's just so wonderful. I can't even describe in words to tell you that... Just in these, um, when I had uh, a trial arise in my life, um, I found out I was blind in my left eye, and then I lost my job uh, shortly thereafter, and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I just, at first, you know, maybe the first few days, I kind of freaked out a little bit, um, but I just, you know, I, I took it to God, and I, I gave it all to him, and I said, you know what? heal my unbelief, heal, grow my faith and my trust in you right now because I need you. And that's what I did. And he has held me by the hand ever since, and he will not let go. And he has grown me so strong in just these two months since all of this happened for me. Not only is my vision returning in my eye, although it's not completely fully healed, um, he is. He. I just had my unemployment benefits approved, um, so I have insurance now, also to finish taking care of I and also other things that I tended to neglect in my life. I always put others first in at a self-sacrificing way. Um, so God is just. He's just so awesome. He's so so very awesome. So I think, and but. Also, what has helped me is everyone here that has been a blessing to me in my life and has shared kind words and, and, and been so encouraging and, and so wonderful here and, and willing to uh, welcome me with open arms. And I truly appreciate all of you here for that. And I, I, I don't know what direction God's taking me, um, but he is allowing me to return to nursing school um, to reactivate my license, and maybe the, at that point I'll be a missionary. Who knows? I have no clue, and he knows I'm, I, I will go wherever he leads me. And that's the whole point of it, you know. 
we have to listen and, and know what God wants us to do and do it because it's the best thing ever. And he, you see, again, <laughs> I didn't write anything down, but it's, forgive me, Lord. <laughs> if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit encouraging me and egging me on and for God being there with me every step of the way and putting my complete, and that's what you have, complete faith and trust in him. And you see the riches. You will see them. And not necessarily monetary, but just in your life. You heal, and you heal well. So I, I praise the Lord and, and, and God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And I praise all of you today for welcoming me into this wonderful church. Thank you. So now we'll proceed. Thank you, Pastor Marcon, and uh, we'll get ready for baptism.
and don't ever forget it, he will continue to lead you. And because you love Jesus, it is my privilege today as minister of the gospel to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son, Jesus Christ, and of the Holy Spirit. say that because it's warm in here and it's nice to be in the water, but <laughs> I do want to say this. You've witnessed two people who have given their hearts to Jesus. Yeah, you know, we're reminded, especially in the Gospel of Luke, that there is joy in heaven today. Yeah. If we could yeah. see heaven parted, the angels are rejoicing. And I could hear the Father say, these are my beloved daughters in whom I am well pleased. Don't you think so? Yeah. And so, dear friends, this is the best decision you could make in life. 
is to give your heart to Jesus. Let him lead you. And so I invite, if there's anyone here today that hasn't done so, please contact Pastor Jeff Weir and, and plan to be baptized. Plan to give your heart to Jesus. Get into the Word of God. You will never regret it. In fact, it will be the best decision of your life. And so let's pray together and let's ask the Holy Spirit to guide our wonderful two people that have been baptized and to guide each one of you. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I just thank you for Heather and Lois and their decision to be baptized. I pray that you will bless them, that you will continue to guide them, that your Holy Spirit may bless their footsteps, their plans in serving you as they rejoice in joining all of heaven in giving glory to Jesus. And Lord, perhaps there are some here today that are in the valley of decision. I pray, Lord, that your spirit may tug upon hearts, recognizing the reality of what this world offers and what Jesus offers. And I pray as Moses spoke to the Israelites, choose life. That is my prayer for those that are in the valley of decision. And for those that have been baptized, may we choose life. May we choose Christ. And in his precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. going to go ahead and sing a couple hymns. So first we're going to sing number 308, Holy Thine. Number 308.
will be number 522, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. Number 522. Next, we'll go ahead and do number 526, Because He Lives, 526.
to 528. Shelter in the time of storm. So 528. Just go to the very next page, 529, Under His Wings.
Well, before we have our closing prayer, we need to officially vote them in. Do I have a motion to accept Lois Carlsberger? And, okay. And a motion for Heather Meter? Okay. Uh, all in favor, raise your hand. Okay, very good, very good. And uh, I just want to remind before we give them their gifts and we have our closing prayer, um, everyone's invited for our fellowship meal afterward. And uh, we'll have the two of you meet in the back so that uh, everybody can greet you as they're leaving. We do want to thank you, Pastor, for being here. It's, it's always special to have you here. It was a great message, and we uh, want to continue to pray for your work among the youth. Uh, very important, isn't it? And, uh, and I, I did, I did want to say, you know, I had the privilege to study with them. Um, but it's really the kindness of everybody in this church that helps people make the decision to be baptized. Every kind word, every kind gesture helps people take that step, doesn't it? And uh, what a wonderful church, and we're so glad that you're, you're a part of it. Well, uh, Lois and Heather, uh, our church would like to present you a gift.